Hey, you're one of our regular students for Self-Improvement Wednesday. Each week you get to learn something new. Your lesson this week, the work of uh, Artemisa Gentileschi. Your teacher is Liz Ann McGregor, Director of the Museum of Contemporary Art Australia. And uh, as she says, farewell with her last self-improvement for a while. Hello. <laughs> Hi, Richard. You've chosen a pretty good topic, though, haven't I you? I have indeed. I could not be more uh, topical, I guess, as a topic. Um, she is actually one of my favourite artists, Artemisia, if I can slightly correct yes. the pronunciation. I studied 17th century Baroque Italian painting. That is the kind of painting that's very exuberant, over the top, uses a lot of contrast, very hyper-realistic, um, amazing scenes. And Artemisia is one of the few women who we know of from that period. So very important to young historians like I was studying this, looking at it and suddenly realising women made extraordinary powerful art. Mm. She's somebody who, well, she knew Caravaggio and yet so someone like me, Caravaggio is so much more famous than she is. Absolutely. And that's what often happens to the women. Her father was an artist, so she was brought up in a very strong artistic tradition. She knew um, Caravaggio and her father recognised her talent early on and in fact brought in a tutor, a painter to help her, but he attacked her. He raped her, in fact. And this is documented because he was actually tried... um, which is which is which extra- was unusual. Unusual that she decided, and what bravery this would have been at the time to press charges. She, pre- her father, pressed charges, and she went on the witness stand, and it is all recorded from the time. Um, he was convicted, but he got away with it because the Pope intervened, as sometimes happens in these cases. The higher powers came in, and he was uh, he was let away. But she, in the meantime, did not let this awful experience daunt her. In fact, I think it drove her desire to become a really powerful artist. And some of her works really show that politics and have been interpreted by a lot of feminist art historians as doing just that, looking at the way that men look at women and and how you can portray women doing um, sometimes quite powerful and unpleasant things like chopping the heads off generals. <laughs> it's so interesting with a lot of the, um, the subjects from this time, you'll see one story from the Bible painted by different people in different ways. One example is is Susanna and the Elders. It's quite a a common painting, Mm. and yet she does it in a particular way. It's an extraordinary painting. I mean, I remember seeing these paintings when I was studying, and the men are usually at a distance. The story is the men are spying on this beautiful woman who's bathing. And it can be quite innocuous, but actually in her work... Those men are leering. There is no doubt about it. They're lascivious. They're leaning over. There's a sense of of dismay about it. You can sense her unease. It's actually an extraordinary depiction. And I've thought a lot about these works. Are we putting a lens of now onto them? But I remember the shock when I saw them myself as a a young art historian, like looking at these works and finding them feeling really uncomfortable and realising there was something wrong long before we started talking about um, the kinds of issues we're addressing today in our society. Informed by her own experience, like lots of of great art. She gets married again, or she gets married, doesn't she? And she moves to Florence. Yes, there's a very interesting tension in her story. On the one hand, her father does arrange this marriage for her to another artist, um, but she does um, manage to pursue her career. And she, in fact, has the Cosimo de' Medici, the Grand Duke of Tuscany, as one of her patrons. Um, And she was accepted into the prestigious Accademia dell'Arte del Disegno, the Academy of Arts and Drawing. and that gave her the ability to purchase her own artistic supplies. Just think about that. 
As a woman, she was not actually allowed to buy art materials until she was accepted as a member of this academy. Um, and she was able to sign her own contracts, but her husband still had to give her permission. So she's pushed it quite a long way, but not as far as you might like if you think about it. We've been talking about female rage and fury so much this week, and it seems we are again. You mentioned beheading, and this is one of the most iconic mm. works, isn't it? So Judith beheading Holofernes is a, 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 an Old Testament story, the assassination of an Assyrian general, Holofernes, by the Israelite heroine Judith. Uh, and the interesting thing about it is her maid is colluding with her in this. And they actually, are, it's very violent. They're actually hacking the head off this man as he slept in a drunken stupor. Um, there is an insinuation that perhaps he had, had um, you know, molested them in some way. But ultimately, it's about the violence of that revenge. Um, and many, I know many women artists, my good friend Lindy Lee, who we've talked about, uh, saw that work in Florence and was so struck by the fact that a woman could make such a powerful work um, of a very horrifying subject. Subject matter. It's a pretty horrifying subject matter when you read about it, but to actually see it depicted in this very graphic way and um, with these two women hacking at this head, it's, it's quite something. Mm. The work is, is informed by the personal life uh, throughout the, the, the life. She has a daughter, doesn't she? And then she has an affair. She does. Well, you know, she uh, obviously wanted to lead her own life and she has an affair, um, which is well documented. And I think he, uh, her lover um, was, a, was another Florentine nobleman and he helped to keep keep her and her husband solvent. So it all sounds very um, friendly, perhaps. Um, she went to Rome. She travelled around quite a bit with her daughter and the husband disappears at this point. We don't quite know what happened to him. Um, she's continuing her art studies, continuing to make extraordinary paintings. Uh, she moves to Naples, which, of course, is where Caravaggio was originally from. And then she was invited to England to the court of Charles I. Her father had been a court painter, so she's following in his footsteps. And she really introduced the 17th century Baroque style, the Caravaggio style, to England and was incredibly influential in doing that. Yeah, she she stays in England for, for some time, but, but finally, we're not quite sure when she goes back to maybe Naples? No, we think she stayed in London for a couple of years. She continued. She made a very interesting series of self-portraits of herself as an artist, which again was quite um, quite revolutionary for the times. Um, and so she had this really exceptional career. Um, she defied expectations. She, she led her own life very much. She put the awfulness of what had happened to her as a young woman behind her. And she's really recently been rediscovered. She wasn't that well known. Um, it is one of my great regrets that last year's amazing exhibition at the National Gallery in London, uh, none of us living here or in many places of the world were unable to visit it. And I would so have loved to see the way they brought together these extraordinary portraits uh, and, and other depictions of great biblical stories seen through the eyes of, of a great I think one of our first great feminist painters. Mm. And so interesting that she seems quite well known in her own age, and then she seems quite well known now, but then there's a uh, there's a, a, a dark ages for her. There's a long gap before she gets rediscovered, as it were. And I think it, it's interesting. I, I think back to my own time as an art historian, and I don't think I really noticed that we were only looking at work by men until I came across Artemisia. And when you come across a woman, you go, well, where are all the others, you know? And of course, we have our very own Germaine Greer to thank for that extraordinary book she wrote about the way that women were in, 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 his, in art history made invisible. So I'm sure there are a lot more out there, but I'm just very happy that we have Artemisia to look back to. Well, when you go to Scotland to see your mum, you might be able to <laughs> see a bit of her art too. 
Uh, hey, uh, Lizanne, we'll, uh, we'll say farewell to you for a little while for self-improvement, but once you come back, you know, you're back in the harness, even if you have left the Museum of Contemporary <laughs> Art. <laughs> I'll look forward to that, Richard. We Thank love you your lessons. Much. There you go. Thank you. Lizanne McGregor, who has announced her uh, retirement, of course, from the as the director of the Museum of Contemporary Art. She's going back to see her aged mum in Scotland, but then coming back to Sydney where we will press her into service again. You just heard her agree, I think. Uh, you can, of course, catch up with her lesson again online, abc.net.au slash sydney. Next week, Dr Hugh Griffiths, Chair of English at the University of Sydney. He'll be delving into Shakespeare's Hamlet. What exactly does the way the play was written tell us about that time? That's Self-Improvement Wednesday next week. Next week.